You are listening to episode 80 of the Tennis Files podcast, question and answer session, 4.5 plus edition. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast. I've got another great episode for you. On this show, I strive to provide you with the best uh, advice, information, tips, and etc. that I can to help you improve your tennis game. And uh, on this episode, I want to answer some more questions from the audience. I actually did do a Q&A uh, format on, I believe, episode 75 of the podcast. And I want to do one... And I just more or less randomly decided to make these questions uh, all from four or five players. I mean, they actually came from four or five players. I didn't just make them up, but I wanted to answer these questions um, and gear them towards this particular level or those striving to get to this level. And as you'll see, you know, there's questions that even though four or fives are asking, um, these are very applicable to other levels of players who have been asking similar questions. But uh, these are all new ones that I haven't presented to you on the show before as far as user questions. Before I do so, I just want to talk a little bit about what's been happening with me. I've actually uh, been experiencing this crazy government shutdown. Uh, I'm not going to discuss the politics because uh, that would just take forever and I don't really like to do that anyway. But I have had more time to play tennis and focus on the podcast and tennis files in general and also in planning Tennis Summit 2019, which I think that will still be the name of the summit. But if you have any other suggestions, I'm all ears. You can always email me at mirban at tennisfiles.com for any feedback. That's M-E-H-R-B-A-N at tennisfiles.com. I'm still trying to put together the exact theme of the summit. I know last year it covered many different facets of the game, which I'm still leaning on doing again, but we'll see. But uh, it covered strategy, technique, fitness, the mental game, and even gear. So it was really, really a fun event and had such amazing coaches like Paul Anacone, Craig O'Shaughnessy, Gigi Fernandez, and many others. Ian of the Central Tennis, Jeff Salzenstein, Will from Fuzziello Ball. So uh, I digress. But anyways, uh, I would, would love your feedback on what you'd like to hear on the summit. I'm really excited to put that together again for you. And it's going to be several months of, of uh, hard work but it's always worth it uh, to have so many thousands of, of players like you and coaches as well uh, learning from the best in the game. But yeah, I've been playing more tennis, really enjoying it. It's been all indoors because it's been wickedly cold. Today, I think there it was a high of maybe 12 degrees or something crazy like that. And it was 20 mile per hour plus wind uh, yesterday. So I was practically being blown to my car because of the wind uh, after I played tennis yesterday. Uh, but yeah, I've been only working about four hours, uh, pretty much half day recently. So I've, I've been working more in my game which has been great and a couple improvements I made which I just want to let you know about because obviously the purpose of this podcast is to help you improve is um, I actually was struggling recently with getting 
as much spin as I've wanted to on my two-handed backhand. And so with, with, you know, with the increased time for me to practice, I actually made a little grip change. I shifted both my left and right hands a, a little bit to the left. So I have now a bit of a stronger continental grip because it was previously a little bit leaning almost halfway on the uh, eastern forehand as well, like bordering between the continental and eastern forehand. But now, uh, yesterday at least, I shifted it to full continental. And I also shifted my left hand, and I'm a right-hander by the way, on my left hand to a more stronger semi-western and I think maybe a border on the on, on the western for left hand, left hand forehand grip. And so those combined actually gave me a, a stronger grip and, and helped me hit a lot more topspin. So I guess the lesson here that I want to communicate is that if you've been struggling on getting topspin on your backhand, whether one or two handed, I mean, the, the grip is a great place to start because a lot of times we're just simply not gripping the racket uh, optimally for the type of shots that we want to achieve and we have to be willing to do a little bit of experimentation and I mean sometimes changes the grip changes take a while to implement but to be honest yesterday when I did that shift it was not so huge of a shift and uh, I got used to it right away so definitely experiment with your grips if you want to uh, and it might really help. And I also discovered, well, basically through trial and error that, uh, you know, my, my slice has been, had been floating a little bit more than I wanted it to, especially when people were hitting uh, really tough shots uh, wide to my backhand, uh, sometimes floating it too much so that they would uh, put it away. So I, I discovered through some video analysis that my racket face was a little bit too open when I was slicing. And so that's a huge one for all of you out there. You don't want to keep the racket face too open because even though the instinct is that, hey, oh, I want to keep it open because, hey, I'm going to slice the crap out of this ball. You really want to keep the racket only a few degrees open if you want to hit a penetrating slice. So anyways, those are the tips I have uh, for you that I've been implementing in my game. And now let's get to the questions. So some fantastic questions. This first one is from Michael. He's a 4-5 player. And this one's a little bit long, but I'll read it out to you anyway. Michael says, I'm an adult getting back into serious competitive tennis again after years of very casual play. My form is still mostly good, but I've developed a few bad habits over the years that my coach and I are currently working to iron out. Uh, and it's fantastic that you have a coach, Michael. One issue that I have is how to retool a stroke when there are various components of the stroke that are off and need to be modified. When writing this, I'm thinking of my one-handed backhand in particular. There are several aspects of it that I'm working to modify, but it challenges how to best go about this. Do I try to simultaneously attack all at the same time, which is hard, or focus on one on only one aspect while keeping the others as is for the time being? knowing that this is further ingraining those bad habits while I focus on the one that I'm currently targeting. I hope this makes sense. I guess the issue is generally stated as, how does one most effectively retool a stroke that has multiple things that one would like to modify? So, uh, Michael, fantastic question, and you answered it in your question, but I would highly recommend that you isolate one part of the stroke because it's simply too difficult, I think, for 99% of us to change several 
elements at once. So I would suggest that you start from the beginning of the stroke and work your way up. Uh, you certainly don't want to start in the middle and then jump to different phases because that would be very difficult as well. Um, and so an example here is with your one-handed backhand, you should first start with your grip, then your unit turn and take back. And then after that, you can focus on the racket drop and then your forward swing and then your contact point and follow through. And, you know, I just listed some of the main things that most people would need to work on in their stroke. So obviously, you know, it depends on what of those areas or other areas, Michael, that you need to work on. But I would say that you should start from the beginning and then work your way towards, you know, the progressions, other progressions of the stroke. And, you know, as far as the jumping around, it would be much harder to say, correct your unit turn first and then change your grip and and then jump around like that because sometimes you can actually fix other parts uh, of the the later stages of the stroke by changing one you know a, a, a an element that's more towards the beginning of the stroke. So, I mean, for example, I just want to give you uh, other people's take too. I mean, I, I interview many of the best coaches of the in the world, and I remember Jeff Salzenstein in particular, who was also a top 100 player in the world on the ATP Tour in singles and doubles too, I believe, that one of the most important things that people get wrong is the unit turn. And he also says that fixing your unit turn may fix other parts of your your technique, like loading, the racket drop, etc. Because I've seen so many players where, for example, their unit turn is way off and they're actually moving with their arms first and just making a huge circular motion without turning their shoulders and hips. And, you know, doing that obviously has ill effects on your loading, racket drop, everything, right? So it, you might find that if you change your unit turn uh, and, and do it properly, and ingraining in your your body mechanics and mind that you know your when your unit turn the right way comprises turning your shoulders and hips and and you know your body as a unit that that will actually correct the way you load in many cases and your racket drop. So that's why we don't want to, um, for example, work on the racket drop first, do that, and then go back to the unit turn. And that's why, again, I recommend that you start from the beginning and then you progress towards the rest of the elements that you need to fix. And, and again, just to hammer that down, it's really tough to fix everything. Like if I have a bad grip for what I want to accomplish anyway, and a bad unit turn, and then, you know, a, a bad load, I mean, it's really almost impossible to think every single time about the 12 different things that I need to, to do in order to fix the, all of those elements. So again, to sum it up, Michael, a great question and basically start from the beginning and work your way up from there. And and, you know, I, I, you mentioned that you have a coach. So I would hope that your coach, you know, implements this type of uh, solution for you, for your one-handed back and other strokes. And, uh, you know, if he's a good coach, which I'm sure you picked well, you know, that, that that's what will happen. All right. Great question, Michael. Thank you. Another question from Mark. 
who is a four or five. His question is, for me, my problem, my number one problem is hitting a strong slash deep backhand if I have to just pick one thing. I have a good backspin one-handed backhand, which works well against four O's or lower, but at four or five, I need to either learn to hit it harder and keep it lower and deeper more consistently rather than having it float at times, and or I need to learn how to hit a two-handed topspin backhand and to learn how to, as quickly as possible, be able to use that in matches. I'm working on it, but it's still very uncomfortable and inconsistent. Uh, And I hear you there, Mark, because in regards to your second question, as I've said a few times, or uh, sorry, second part of your question, as I've said before, it's definitely tough to learn a new, relatively new stroke or new technique. So with that two-handed toss and backhand, you want to definitely uh, start by practicing it in, in non-points or match situations and, uh, you know, drop hits or have people feed you balls until you're comfortable with it. But I do highly recommend that you work on that two-handed topspin backhand mark because it's very, uh, it's going to be a very important and great addition to your arsenal because uh, for one, one, it's going to be very tough to pass your opponents with the slice backhand or put away points with the slice backhand unless you have, I mean, a sitter or a flo- floating shot or your opponent is way off the court or and you have a, a penetrating slice. And also people will be able to pick on that slice. I mean, I know that people bring up Steffi Graf and everything, but you really have to have a fantastic slice in order to do that. And I mean, I could be wrong, so we'd have to review the footage, but I'm, I, you know, I think at times she still brought out the one-hander when needed. But in any case, you know, what I see a lot of times with people, when the opponent knows that the their other their, their opponent has a one-handed slice only a lot of times they'll hit a kick serve and 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 um, serve and volley or just a regular serve to the back end and serve and volley and that's going to make life really tough for you mark so that's why i think you should practice your two-handed backhand on the wall and, and as i mentioned in other uh, non-pressure situations until you feel comfortable with it and a couple tips with the two-handed backhand is you really do want to practice your non-dominant hand usage uh, to get comfortable with that because I, that's the biggest deficiency I see in players is that they are, they don't use their non-dominant hand correctly in the stroke or not enough and then when you let your dominant hand dominate the stroke then you're not going to be able to have enough variety or spin on your shot it may be too flat in many cases and you won't uh, it, it'll mess up your follow-through too I've seen that as well and to be honest I mean I've actually had this problem myself wherein I've used my dominant hand a bit too much and I've had to work on my left-handed usage so I've I've done that I've hit left-handed forehands myself on the wall until I've had some good control with it and and it's really helped and I've had uh, you know I've I've had other players tell me the same thing uh, working with your non-dominant hand has really helped out their uh, two-handed backhand and also experiment with, with different grips like I mentioned uh, earlier that you know it really makes a big difference what grip you're using so don't just don't just grab the racket randomly and you know and and go from there I mean sometimes it'll work if you're lucky but like I said I'd recommend you experiment with different grips because one may give you more spin than you than you'd uh, expected you could produce or one may be flatter and you like that better so so check those different grips out so but also you definitely want to continue to improve your slice mark and you mentioned that it floats quite a bit and I and I mentioned at the top I mean basically both these questions apply to my intro 
show comments at the beginning. I mean, a couple of tips for you is first, make sure that you're using some variant of the Continental Grip. I think for the most part, that is the best part, best grip to use. I've heard some other instructors and players recommend the Eastern Grip, but uh, you definitely can't go wrong with the Continental. Uh, again, you know, you can try both and see what works for you. And then, is your racket face too open at contact? I mean, I had issues with this. It was too open and that's why it floated. So you want to have maybe somebody take a picture if they're really good with the camera and have a camera that can take quick shots anyway, or, or better, take a quick fo- uh, video of a couple of slices that you hit and see why they float. And again, I would I would try to keep your racket face a little bit more close at contact to see how that works for you. And you can even just, uh, I know it's kind of hard to explain this verbally only because the podcast is just audio, but you know, you can hold your racket out in front of you at your contact point with your right uh, right hand if you're a righty, left hand to your lefty, if you're a lefty, and then have it so that it's, it's almost fully closed, but just slightly open by a few degrees. And then that's the contact point that you want, right? And then somebody can hit the ball to you and then you can just bring the, you can have a a very small take back and then hit the ball and you're going to feel such a difference in how much uh, straighter the ball goes and, um, you know, won't float. And then that's the kind of feel you want to have and shot trajectory. And then you can obviously increase your your take back uh, for normal strokes once you get the feeling of that. So that's a tip for you. You really don't want to slice under the ball too much like, uh, you know, mentally a lot of players have that, oh, I'm going to slice this ball and then they just slice the heck out of it and it just uh, slices up. Don't do that. So I hope those uh, tips helped you, Mark, and I hope that that you go forth and conquer with your two-handed backhand and uh, to improve your your slice backhand. So here we go with a 5.0 plus question from my, I believe, Ciro. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. C-I-R-O. He says, my level is 5.5 five plus. Uh, all right, 5.5 five plus, I guess. And when I'm playing for my team uh, in singles and doubles, I have problems with kick service to my one-handed backhand. I used to hit with slice, but it's very weak at that level. It's the same problem with high topspin to my backhand. Lower balls are no problem, though. So you have a couple of options here, Ciro. The first is to take the return on the rise. So you basically want to move forward and then split step, shorten your backswing, and then take the ball before it jumps up. So that'll enable you to hit it, uh, hit the return at the height that you are comfortable with. Obviously, this takes a little bit of practice because the timing aspect uh, makes it a little bit tougher. Or you can back up and then hit the serve when it drops back down. In my view, this is not as optimal because you will be in a far more defensive position. But if you're able to hit the ball high high and loopy, which is what I suggest actually, to get the ball deep enough, then you can uh, start to creep in more and then be in an okay position, a neutral position more or less. So, I mean, the the tips here are, uh, which might sound obvious, but you need to get a partner and have him or her hit high kick serves to you during practice and you have to practice returning these because I think for a lot of players, especially with the returns, I mean, that's that's a very tough, very tough uh, stroke to master. But if you think about it, very few of us are practicing this. You know, I think generally 
when you go and practice with a friend, you go and hit a bunch of ground strokes. I mean, maybe if you're more of a thinker about your game and you're trying to improve, you're going to do some drills like cross courts and uh, figure eights and things like that. And then and then you'll hit a few serves and it, uh, to warm up. And then even when you're warming up, most people don't return, uh, hit ret- practice returns back. And then from there you go and play matches, uh, practice sets. So I guess you'll get some, you'll get practice with the returns there. But I think it's even better if you reduce the the pressure level and just practice serves and returns together in non-point situations. So definitely do that and and have your partner hit specific serves that is causing you trouble so that you can work on those those returns. And as far as you mentioned that you're having, a, I guess you hit weak slices um, for those returns. So again, same thing. Uh, Refer to the slice tips uh, that I previously mentioned and uh, mainly about keeping the racket more closed at impact and and practice those as well. So I hope that helps you, Ciro. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Fourth question, I actually only got an email address which is I'm not going to give you the full <laughs> address but it's from Tab Arrow. I don't know if your name's Tab Arrow or you really like Tab Arrow on the keyboard for some reason but in any case appreciate the question. Uh it's from the 45 level here and the trouble that you're having Tab Arrow is releasing head through contact. Uh, you tend to guide through contact even though the setup is fine. So again I would I would suggest that you go through your whole stroke mechanics. I I know you said that it's fine, which is good, but make sure that you're properly uh, following the kinetic chain and using a good unit turn and loading your body, you know, your weight on the back foot. And then once you have that, then you can explode with the release. But in general, you know, you want to be swinging as fast as possible when you're playing. And it all comes back down to spin control. Because if you can master spin, you should definitely be swinging as fast as you can. And you want to take a look at your technique, Tabero. Is there a specific part of it that breaks the kinetic chain where you're losing your momentum or power buildup in the stroke? So, uh, you know, take a video of yourself and see if there's anything going on there. But to help you train on releasing the head through contact and not guiding it, uh, this is a drill I've suggested a few times, but you want to do medicine ball throws. And for this, I would like you to set the goal of throwing the medicine ball as far as you can, because this will basically force you to accelerate through the motion. And this will transfer through your to your tennis stroke. As long as you have the mindset of, I want to hit my forehand and backhand just like I'm throwing the medicine ball, which is exactly what you should be doing because um, to throw the medicine ball, uh, you really need good mechanics. So definitely do that. That'll help your swing speed. And also, one thing that I actually used to do, and I don't have this device anymore, but I'd like to get it again, is they also sell a sort of, I guess, circular donut-shaped device that you can attach to a preferably older tennis racket, but I mean, you could do it on your 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 rack, you know, the racket you use now as well. I'm sure it'll be fine. 
And so what that does is that adds weight to the racket. So again, if you go on, you know, I'll, I'll try to link the device in, in the show notes. Uh, but, you know, in most tennis places like Tennis uh, Express, Tennis Warehouse, Amazon as well will have some device like this. It'll, you know, it'll make the racket more weighted. So when you swing with that, with that device and you swing, you know, as fast as you can a few times, then when you take the device off and you swing, you're going to notice that you're swinging the racket pretty fast. And so doing something like this as a warm up will really help you explode your racket head through contact. So I hope that that's a helpful tip there. In addition, I recommend that you experiment with breathing out slash grunting. This has always helped me to swing my racket through contact, uh, through the contact point and to finish properly. And doing so relaxes your body and is also proven to increase power output by significant percentage. And I'll find that article and link it on the show notes page as well at tennisfiles.com slash 80. Um, but so I, I hope that those tips help you tab arrow with, uh, with, you know, hitting more explosively. So kind of to sum it up, look at your mechanics, make sure you're using the kinetic chain properly. Um, if you are, you might want to also do medicine ball throws, uh, as a drill and use any sort of weighted devices, um, to help you swing faster and also breathe out and grunt. Try all those and see how that works for you. And then let me know. All right. Uh, question number five of seven. I don't think I mentioned that earlier, but we'll be covering seven questions today. Um, just like the last time we did the Q and a, and this one is from Raluca. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Raluca. You're four or five, and you say that your biggest challenge in tennis is confidence and focus. For example, you you'd be up a few games, and then you'd relax and just end up losing uh, the match. And also, if you're down, then it's hard for you to pull yourself back up in the scoreboard. So the biggest thing here, Raluca, is you need to have a game plan. And if it's working, so for example, if you're up, stick with it. If you're down, like in your second uh, assertion here, uh, second um, scenario, then you either want to figure out, is it an execution issue? If you're having, if it's just simply a good game plan, but bad execution, then you probably want to still stick with it and just try to um, increase your focus, your intensity, your footwork. And hopefully that'll get you going. Or you can you can modify the game plan if if you're executing and it's just not working. And you know, the best competitors, if you think about it, they never relax until the match is over. I mean, how many times have you seen Nadal just chilling or you know laughing or or you know smiling a ton? I mean, they'll maybe they'll smile for one second or two if it's a really crazy point, but then after that you'll see them focus again, they being the best players, you know, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. They're always focused. And <clears throat> I actually don't really like this, I guess, a metaphor, like uh, because it's kind of uh, hardcore to me. But yeah, you've heard of people saying that they keep their foot on the throat or maybe a better one is the, 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 um, the foot on the gas pedal. They keep that going until they've reached their goal. So... Again, you know, have that game plan and stick with it. And in between each point, 
is really important for you in particular Reluca. So some things that I suggest during these periods is to take a few deep breaths, clear your mind, and then plan how you're going to play the next point. And try to do this as many as as frequent as possible because this is what's going to keep you focused on your game plan and succeeding instead of relaxing uh, or giving up. And so remember this process, uh, this uh, quote, uh, I really want you to always focus on the process, not the results. I remember this quote given to me by my college tennis coach after my actually my very first college uh, tennis match. I was at the fall invitational and I actually ended up playing a good friend of mine and I was up pretty big, like six two five two, I think. And then I started thinking about how cool it would be to win my first college match. And predictably, I froze up and I lost. And that was brutal. But my coach told me to focus on the process, not the results. And that has helped me so much. Whenever I start to get um, ingrained in the score, I tell myself, when I remember to at least, to focus on the process, not the results, and just try to execute and enjoy playing. And that always seems to help me play better, always. So please remember that. <clears throat> so focus on executing each point and not the final score. Uh, so some examples of, the, of this is to attack the backhand, come to the net, keep the ball deep. Not I'm up big now, definitely win. He's given up, something like that. And I'd also highly encourage you to check out tennisfiles.com slash gameplan to get a free PDF to help you develop your game plan and stick with it. And this is actually a, a, a downloadable and fillable PDF. So you can actually type in it if you like, or you can print it out and it'll ask you some questions such as your biggest strengths and your opponent's biggest weaknesses and things like that. And it'll help you get your mind focused. So that's a great question, Raluca, and uh, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to go to go on to question six, but first I'm going to have a nice little sip of water because my throat's starting to die off. All right, question six of seven is from Mitch, a 50-plus uh, female player, and she asked a solid list of uh, she asked for a solid list of different drills to use for tournament level players. Great question here and I'll go through uh, a list of them some you might have heard of and others maybe not one of my favorites that I pretty much play, uh, use with Will Hamilton from Fuzziella Balls he lives a few miles away from me and we always end up playing this game and sometimes it takes a few minutes to finish one sometimes it's taken over half an hour to finish but tug of war is a great game Basically, one person chooses to go high, one person chooses to go low. You start at five all. It's a baseline game. And then, so the person who chooses to go high, uh, let's say it's five all and he wins the point. Now the score is six. And it's only one number, right? So six. Say if the person who's going high wins another point, it's seven. Then if the person who who's going low wins a point, it goes back down to six. And so the goal of the person going low is to reach zero. And the goal of the person going high is to reach 10. And that's why the goal, the uh, game can last a while. And so the, you know, what, what, what it promotes is endurance, consistency, and it's great for honing your ground strokes and net game, obviously. But this is a very tough 
game, especially uh, it's tough closing out. Sometimes you'll get to one or to nine, and then the other person will fight back, and sooner or later you'll you'll be back to five. That's a great game. Another drill is cross court down the line, which I think people also call figure eight drills. But this one is great. You you just have one person be designated as uh, hitting down the line, and another person hitting cross court, and you can make this into a game where the person who misses their end, you know, obviously they the other person who <laughs> won the point, I guess, quote unquote, gets a point and then you play to 10 or something like that. Or you can more commonly just simply try to go for as many shots as you can uh, with this drill and try to break your records. But again, this promotes consistency and it helps greatly with directional control. I mean, you're changing the direction of the ball, which is really tough. So this will help a lot when you're in those cross-court rallies and you want to hit a shot down the line. Fantastic drill for that. And you need to have good speed and endurance, great lateral movement, which is really, really important. We're actually moving roughly 70% of the time laterally in a match, even though people end up practicing their uh, front and back movement more. So that's kind of one mistake I want to highlight there. I mean, unless you're a certain volume, of course, and then it's uh, percentages are a little different. Anyway, cross court down the line is a great drill. Uh, also, just simply playing a bunch of tie breaks is awesome. It's really good for training crunch situations. So you definitely want to be doing that. And also, I mean, a lot of times our matches come down to tie breaks. So you definitely want to make sure you're you're capable of playing solid tie breaks. Uh, also, playing sets starting from 30 all in the game. This one truly makes every single point count, and I like this one a lot, uh, especially if you want to just play, again, <laughs> more more pressure-packed points uh, it, in a shortened format. This is great. And then there's some live ball drills, uh, feeding, feeding drills. I mean, one of them that you can do that's kind of realistic to, uh, to normal points is you can have the person feed you a forehand uh, hit that cross court and then the backhand hit it cross court and then a shorter ball where you hit a forehand down the line followed by a backhand volley uh, down the line and then an overhead. And then you can reverse that starting with a backhand, backhand, forehand, backhand approach, and then forehand volley down the line, and then an overhead. So that's a good live ball drill there, and there's just so many, but that's one. Uh, and then you can just really, I mean, even the simple cross-court forehands, cross-court backhands, uh, focusing on recovery footwork towards the middle is fantastic too. That's great training. You can also do things like play cross-court points only. And uh, to to elevate that, you can play a practice set where you must serve in volley on one or both points, and then you're playing uh, these points uh, only on the cross-court halves. Or you can play, you know, cross-court, uh, serve and volley, both points, full-court as well, either one. But that's, that's just a great drill to really... F- focus in on your servant volley game. So I hope that those drills, uh, those that list of drills uh, is something that you, you know, you're interested in and, and will employ in your training, Mitch. Uh, appreciate the question. And I have a ton more drills, but you know, I mean, I just wanted to mention a few of them on the podcast and I, I'll try to link to actually a couple books that have a, a cr- <laughs> I didn't want to say a bad word. Uh, a crap load of drills. I guess crap's not too bad, right? So I'll, I'll link to that, to, to those books on the show notes page. Last question is a short one, but a great one is from Ray of 4-5. And he, his biggest challenge is a consistent second serve. So I would ask you, Ray, how would you rate your ability to hit your serve with a spin? 
can you consistently hit topspin on your serve? And can you consistently hit slice on your serve? See, the key here is the spin, in my opinion, because, you know, when you have the capability of hitting with spin, you can swing at full speed and get the ball in. And the thing here is uh, similar to the previous uh, a couple of questions ago. The faster you swing, the more spin goes on the ball, which gives the ball more height over the net. Uh, well, at least when you're hitting with topspin, and you actually have more control too by hitting with a more more of a swing speed. Because if you slow down your swing, this is going to result in less spin, and not only less spin but less power as well. So if you're trying to hit with spin and you brush the ball but you don't swing fast enough, the ball's not going to go anywhere. So that's why for the second serve, you want to master your spin control and also be able to swing. Uh, quickly because and I mentioned the latter especially because I don't see well actually both really because uh, that's a big problem in the ma am the amateur game with players especially uh, 4 and below they're either not swinging fast enough or they're not hitting spin on their second serves and that's why they're mi missing it they have very little net clearance their second serve is basically a slower flat pancake grip uh, serve so don't do that Work on your spin, move your grip around so that you can hit spin. I mean, continent, <clears throat> can't go wrong with continental. And another tip here is to use targets. Targets are really helpful in helping you direct the ball and will help your serve consistency, Ray. And you can use anything. Use cones. I've used a water bottle before too, a basket. You can even stack tennis balls into a triangle and then try to hit them. Those all work well. And when you're practicing, give yourself a goal to reach. For example, seven out of 10 serves, second serves in, or eight out of 10 second serves in wide, some sort of goal like that. But again here, uh, Ray, the most important aspect of, of getting a consistent second serve is to focus on your spin control. You should be able to serve the ball in, in automatically with spin without having to think about it eventually. So work on that and you'll have a more consistent second serve, Ray. I really do appreciate the questions, everybody. This was a great great slew of questions, and I hope that these tips helped you. Um, try to take at least one of these tips and implement them in your game if you are having trouble with a particular facet of your game. And also let me know what you think about this question and answer format. You can email me at mirabonnettennisfiles.com. If you like them, I'll do more of them. Uh, and I actually did this one because I asked for feedback last time and I got some good feedback on it. So I'm doing it again, but you know, even though I got good feedback the first time, I'd still appreciate more feedback of what you think. Uh, obviously I'm gonna be doing more interviews as well. And I've, you know, vast majority of these episodes are interview format with some incredible people and experts to help you improve your game. But I think uh, switching it up to this question and answer format uh, and some solo episodes is really fun for me too to connect with you more and also provide you my perspective on the game and what I what works for me and consequently what I think may work for you. So really appreciate that. And if I don't hear anything from you, I'll just assume that you hate me and my Q&A. Just kidding. I won't do that because that would be tough mentally. But anyways, I would also appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast to get each episode automatically downloaded to your podcast app of your choice. I really would appreciate that. And you can do that by going for iTunes to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes and hitting the subscribe button, or you will pretty easily see the subscribe button 
by the Tennis Files podcast in any podcast app that you use to listen to the show. As I mentioned, I'm gearing up for Tennis Summit 2019. Uh, tentatively, it's scheduled for late April. I'll come out with the dates uh, soon enough. And I'm really excited and, and interested, so interested in making it the best that it's ever been and improving it and filling it with an incredible amount of value for you all. I really, really enjoy putting this event on because I get so much great feedback and I learn a ton and I know you learn a ton too. And uh, it's just a lot of fun for me to put on such a unique event, to put on a conference, but not only a conference, but an online conference so that everybody can access it. And not only that, it's free to attend to get all that the just incredible information. And then on top of that, obviously, you can um, invest in lifetime access and stuff. But I mean, it's it's available for everybody for free if they want. And uh, it's an incredible event. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it again. And please let me know, like I mentioned at the top of the show, what you want to learn from it for this year and also who you want me to include in it. And I want to devote these sessions to exactly what you want to learn. And I'm also going to uh, resend out a survey asking for your advice on the, the summit, uh, what you want to see on the summit uh, once again. So please take the two minutes, probably less, depending on how long your um, op one open-ended answer is to, this, to the survey, to, to fill it out if you receive one. It'll be a major help to me and also to, to you and to everybody as well. Ooh, one quick bonus tip I want to give you all before I go is, uh, for this episode anyway, is that I've actually been trying to figure out how to improve my sleep time because inevitably, you know, especially with the Australian Open around, you end up checking your phone or your computer and then next thing you know, you want you want to keep reading something or watching something and then your plan of sleeping at like 10.30 turns to 12, right? Two things I've done to help me sleep on time. One, I've set my MacBook to shut off automatically every night at 10 p.m., that's an internal setting in my computer and energy saver section. And I'm sure that Windows probably has one. I mean, if I'm wrong, then I'm sure there's there's programs out there to do that as well. And I also use an app on my phone. I think it's called Block Apps for Android to block the apps that I habitually like to use at night and during the day. So I block things like the internet, Facebook, Twitter, Chrome, YouTube, Instagram, and Slick Deals. <laughs> yeah, Slick Deals is just, uh, man, I don't want to talk about that app. But uh, great deals on there. So anyway, uh, there should be an iOS Apple uh, equivalent, but I know this was actually a random, you know, section that I just went into, but I, I just, you know, the goal of this podcast is to help you all in your tennis game and also life as well. And so I found that the best way sometimes is not even to just struggle and fight against things, but rather to just eliminate them. So when my computer is shut off automatically, I'm not going to go and turn it on again and, and, you know, deal with that. So I'm not going to use it. And when my phone is blocking the apps that I'm going to use, I'm not going to use them. So I'm just going to go brush my teeth and go to bed, maybe read a little bit. So that's way better than just wasting time. So I hope those two little bonus tips there are helpful for you. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, the quote of the day, which I often like to leave you with at the end of the show, is by Gregory Peck. And he said, tough times don't last, tough people do. 
And that's a great quote. It's a classic. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's fantastic and it's true. All right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this question and answer session, 4.5 plus edition of the podcast. And I really appreciate all your support, feedback, and uh, emails, comments, suggestions. And I am going to be gearing up for Tennis Summit 2019 and uh, work on providing more awesome content for you all and podcast episodes and anything else I can think of and do in my spare time, especially with this freaking furlough. So I wish you all the best and keep improving your tennis game and your lives too. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.